Welcome to the Soccer Metrics Podcast, a discussion and interview series with leading names in the soccer analytics world. Here's your host, the founder of Soccer Metrics, Howard Hamilton. This is Howard Hamilton, founder of Soccer Metrics Research. Welcome to Integral Magazine's exclusive interview with the proprietor of the Football Mythbusters blog, Murray Innes. Murray, it's great to finally talk to you. How are things going? I am good, thanks. It's good to finally talk as well. Great. Um, I understand you're in a warm, sunny place known for champagne football at the moment. Um, yes, I've just moved to Barcelona, so from Scotland, so it's quite a shock to the system with the weather. Yeah, yeah, that and other things as well, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, I, so I went to the Barcelona game last week and it was 8-0, so it was a good match to pick. Yeah, that's a good one. Lots of scoring. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'll. I don't think that will let off during the La Liga season, though. No, I don't think so. I think they'll be back to their best this season. Great. Um, so I'd like to talk to you um, in this interview about um, soccer analytics and your work with Football Mythbusters. And one thing that I've learned since I got involved in soccer analytics is that a lot of people come to the field from various directions. So I'll ask you, what's your day job? Um, at the minute, I'm unemployed. Um, okay. What do you do by training, I should say? Well, I was uh, I graduated um, in computing science, so I'm computing technical background. That was my. Um, I knew how to make websites, so it was the website. I knew how to make the website first before the the start the analysis and the research and that kind of stuff. Okay. So, what motivated you to start Football Mythbusters? Um, commentators, basically. Um, the bad ones, anyway. The constant hearing of cliches, and it, sometimes it can it can really annoy you when commentator says something that you or you believe is not true, or you know is not true. So I thought I'd really like to find out which ones are true, and which ones are the cliches. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been hearing that a lot that there's a real opportunity to develop analytics to counter some of the things that are being said on, on television by by pundits, whether former players or coaches or journalists or what have you. Um, so it's interesting okay. to see that you came from that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've been poking through your site at footballmythbusters.com and it's really good stuff. Uh, how long has Football Mythbusters been around? Um, since the start of May. Okay. Um, so, not not very long, but um, I haven't um, wrote any articles for the past, I think, four weeks now because I've been developing a database because the, the turnaround on articles was um, quite long, especially if I'm working. It takes over 40 to 50 hours to write one article, including all the research. So, um, maybe one or two hours, hopefully, and that'll be able to write articles far more frequently. Okay. And I apologize to those who are listening. Uh, Murray has some bandwidth issues in Barcelona. He He's in a temporary place right now. So if it drops in and out, uh, we apologize for that. Um, yeah, so how do you decide which myths to investigate? Um, well, the very first thing I did was just write out all the myths that I knew of, that I could think of from the top of my head. And then um, I used my friends, like I have a lot of football fanatic friends, so I used them to 
find out which one was the one that we all knew, the most common one, and uh, decide just to pick the most the most commonly perpetrated one, which happened to be two 0 as a dangerous scoreline. I think, like most people in football, knew that one. Right. So, how do you collect your data? Um, well, first of all, because of the nature of the articles, I have to decide on my data requirements first. So, I have specific data requirements for every article. So, the method will be different every time. But for two 0 as a dangerous scoreline, I wrote out what I thought would be relevant data, so matches where 2-0 occurred. And uh, so I found, went through all the previous seasons of English Premier League and just copied all the matches where 2-0 occurred and then proceeded to get that even further based on time and whether it was like, if it was 2-0 in the 90th minute and there was no point, that doesn't really provide any useful information. So. The first thing is just to call, I copy and paste manually, so the research takes quite a long time. Yes, I feel your pain on that one yeah. all too well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's us to develop a, um, a lot of software and tools to, to automate that process. Um, so which data are most important to you, and which ones are not so important or downright misleading? I think that the, 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 I don't really deal with um, like the more specific data. So there's a lot, a lot of really good analysts on Twitter now that in their spare time will do uh, analytics on certain players. So um, chances created and stuff like that. And I don't really. That doesn't really come up in cliches. Um, it might in the future, but right now it, it, it doesn't really occur. So I more concentrate on match results, score lines, um, at what times of goals. Like the, ne the next myth I'd like to do is um, is half time the worst time to concede. So just before half time. So I will need to find matches where the team conceded right before half time. And so time of goals and my data is very broad, very. Um, it's not very detailed, so I don't really need the, the far more specific data. Okay. How sophisticated are the statistical analyses that you perform? Because you're talking a lot about busting myths or confirming myths. So yeah. I, I was kind of curious about that. Um, they're, not, they're not sophisticated at the minute at all. Um, that was one of the very first uh, constructive feedback I got was interesting articles, but they didn't say a lot in, at the start. So um, I wrote, enrolled in an online course at Fairplay for Statistics, so that will improve um, definitely because I didn't come from this from a statistical background. I'm just an average football fan that knew how to start a website and could write an article. So um, statistics is definitely the thing I need to improve on. The analysis, definitely. So it's not very sophisticated. It's more common sense conclusions that you can draw from the data. But, they're not um, foolproof. They don't. They don't confirm anything at the minute. I need to back that up with more um, sophisticated analysis to, to make it more concrete. That's true, but I think a nice thing about making common sense um, inferences from data is that it motivates you to ask more questions, doesn't it? Yeah. 
definitely. The, the, when I was posting, like advertising a couple of the articles um, to get feedback, that was always the, the conversation generated was always more questions. What else can we find out about these myths? What what other data can we use? What other um, what else does the data that I, that I found collated tell me or tell us as football fans? So definitely the by trying to keep it um, simple, I think is um, it's the most interesting way to do it as well. What's the biggest challenge to performing the types of investigations that you do? The minute it's death is the data collation, so it's um, getting the data and uh, and collecting it, basically trying to collect enough data to to make a reasonable um, conclusion. is relevant as well is a, is a big challenge so once I have my data seeing if um, if the data I have actually says anything about the myth sometimes there are bits of data that I have collected but afterwards I've realised that they don't actually say anything about the myth so remove, removing data that takes hours of work to collect is sometimes a hard decision to make but sometimes I, I have, I've had to do that. Right. Okay, this is Howard Hamilton of Soccer Metrics, and I'm here with Murray Innes of Football Mythbusters for Integral Magazine. Murray, let's talk about some specific projects that you've done. I think your first project was on whether 2-0 was really the most dangerous scoreline football. Uh, tell me more about that. Well, that's um, a myth that, that was the first myth that popped into my head, basically. It's a myth I've always, um, always heard, been told by commentators, by football coaches. I think it's very popular in like, high school football coaches. Once you get to 2-0, it's a, a motivation, motivating tool to try and keep players playing. And I think it, it um, I think it's quite a, it's an interesting myth to do because it kind of makes sense. 2-0 could be a dangerous scoreline because your players might get more relaxed and as opposed to 1-0 where they might be more vigilant and be less prone to mistakes at 2-0. But not enough that I was convinced by it, so that's why I chose to investigate that one first. And, um, that was the very first one I did, so it took a long time, but, and it was only one season of the Premier League that I managed to um, look at. because so, I just had no website or anything at that point. It was just a group of concepts article that I'd like to revisit later with, with far more data. Okay. You also had an interesting project on the performance of new managers, and you ended up confirming and busting a couple of myths. Can you discuss that? Yeah, well, um, I think the, I busted the myth that the new managers always win their first games, which is a very popular, um, I think it's more popular among bets, betting, um, people, tipsters, that would, if a new manager's coming into his new game, they always get that new manager buzz and they'll win their first game, which um, I think that it's a very difficult, um, so obviously if you think about it for more than a few minutes, you'll realise that it completely depends on the situation. If the new manager of Swansea is playing Manchester United for his first game, then that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win. He's probably going to lose that game. So there's, there's a lot of factors around that, and especially the form of the team, at what stage 
the, the manager's coming in. He's coming in at pre-season level, and he has obviously many weeks to work with the the team as opposed to one week or two weeks. And I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty self-explanatory that new managers didn't always the the other part of the article was the the up swinging form that new managers get, and I think can. Maybe not confirmed it, but certainly shown that most managers in the English leagues in the past few seasons have had brought with them an upswing in form from the, the previous managers when they took over the position. Right. There's some research that I've seen that shows that, yes, there is an upswing in performance, but it doesn't last very long with new managers. So I think it would be really cool to see yeah. how those managers perform long, longer term. Yeah, well, I, I took the, the very basic um, cut-off that it was, I would compare the last five games of the previous manager to the first five games of the new manager. So it was very simplistic, um, but it, it showed that there is a, a, a definite a definite reason to, to maybe sack your manager, not, not sack your manager, but a new manager does bring in a, a reinvigoration for the players. Right. Were there any myths that you investigated that were that you were surprised had some basis in fact? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure if um, I think the the informed team, but um, they always play off was an interesting one. Um, the end result was that they don't always win the playoff, which is something that um, I would probably not bet. Because I think that you always think the, the team with the most um, went up at the end of the season is the team that you you would like to win. But I think you come up with them. There was quite a few situations, like only one team in the championship in the past uh, seasons that were in form actually won the playoffs, which um, was quite surprising. And I think the, the European panel as well was. Definitely something I didn't expect. Um, according to my simplistic research in the past 10 seasons, um, the, the European hangover doesn't exist. It has no effect on, on teams in uh, league form. I think what I was surprised with when I, when I took a look at your work on informed teams in, in the playoffs was that the team ranked highest hanging into the playoff more often not won it and you would think that because of the randomizing nature of the playoffs that um every team whether third through sixth or whatever place they were in had an equal chance of winning um so to see that the highest ranked team in the in the regular season more often not won the playoffs was really surprising to me yeah the um... I think the um, the playoffs in the, the English league, um, I think they I think they're generally quite predictable. Um, apart from the the informed bit, I think that the it does seem to be that the, the team with the most points will will get promoted on on the on most occasions. Um, but as I saw from that, one thing I like to do when I'm researching these articles is to find bits of information that are surprising, so or um, quirks of data, so. I think on that one it was that uh, on one season the, the team with the lowest points total by quite some distance, I think it was 12 points, 
and they had the the worst form in the five games running in. They they that was the team that got promoted. I think it was Scunthorpe United one season. We're just the worst team out of the four in every way possible, and they they managed to get promoted. Do you know what happened to them the following season? Did they get relegated right away, or? I think it was a straight relegation. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Not too surprising. Um, no. Has your blog changed the way that you watch a football match? Um, well, I, I usually try. I usually watch. Um, I support Liverpool, so when I'm watching Liverpool, it hasn't doesn't change at all. It's always emotional. I don't really care what's happening tactics-wise or what the commentators are saying. I'm just really want Liverpool to win. But um, sometimes when I'm, I'm watching other games, yeah, I listen out for the commentators now and try and keep a cliche count of how many cliches I can find to because I, I want I keep a list of cliches that I want to eventually bust so or tackle so I'm always listening for more and more to add to that list. Do you think analytics can make football better or more attractive or is um or things incomplete there is the jury still on that one? I think it, in recent years it probably has from a and I think from a managing perspective, I think clubs have, have put analytics to to very good use within the clubs themselves, using GPS systems in training and uh, statistics to determine what position players play. And I think managers, especially new managers, are, are putting more stock in analytics as opposed to just the gut feeling of a scout or their gut feeling of whether a player will do well. So I think it already is making making football more interesting, definitely. Okay. Um, are there any questions that you would like to see considered, whether by you or anyone else? I think from a myth perspective, I, I'd really like to find out if, if Barcelona could do it in a wet windy night in Stoke. I think that was a, a famous line by Andy Gray about uh, Lionel Messi. and I've, I've tried to come up with a list of data requirements for it, but getting historical weather and for certain matches, it's a very difficult list to tackle. So hopefully one day we'll find out if, if we can. Uh, could you repeat that question again? I'm sorry, I missed so it. The, it was the, when Andy Gray said um, he wondered if Barcelona could do it in a wet, windy night in Stoke. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've heard that cliche a number of times. Yeah. It's one thing, you know, it's one thing for a team that plays attractive football to do it at home. It's another thing to do it on cold winter nights. Yeah. You know, at some northern England place. Yeah, I think they'd manage it, but I'd really like to find out what the what what was happening in that situation. Yeah. Well, I guess you could look at how they perform against um, against lower lower, te lower tier teams in La Liga who are trying to get a result or at least hold them to a draw yeah. and disrupt matches. Um, they've struggled quite a few times against lower tier teams. Yeah, the first thing I actually looked at was, the, was like, there's a good website that provides um, like styles of play. And so I looked for teams in the La Liga that, that played the long ball. That was my first port of call, just find the teams that play the long ball. And I was trying to find um, weather, historical weather, to see what what nights Barcelona played them, that it was wet and wet or windy, and it was it was going to take me a very long time, though, much more time than I really have. It would have been up in the hundred hours mark, so I felt I'd leave that for a day when I can maybe get the data far more easily. 
Okay. I was about to ask you if you have a favorite team, but you just said Liverpool. Um, yeah. Do you have any in Scotland or anywhere else? No, just just Liverpool. <laughs> I, right. I, I, I watch I watch other teams, but I don't support any other teams. If a team's playing really, like I like to watch Borussia Dortmund, but I wouldn't say I support them in any way. They just play really good football. They play really nice football, and it's still a good team to watch. They're very entertaining, but the only team I support is Liverpool. Right. So, what were your thoughts on last season's Premier League? Um, I know that you have a number of perspectives being a Liverpool supporter, but I would imagine that not many people expected a comfortable stroll for Manchester United. No, I didn't expect Manchester United to win the league. I thought Man City would have won it again because on paper I think they've got the best squad and I think they do again this season. I think they have the best squad by far and I thought that I didn't see any reason why they couldn't go on and win it again. Is it or not at least fight for it or challenge for it? I didn't expect Man United to to stroll to the title with what I thought was quite a weak squad for for Man United standards. Right. So were there any surprises from last season in England or in Europe? I think Swansea were the, the best surprise. I think not any, everyone wasn't sure. Loudrop well, came with um, a good record, but Premier League's always very difficult and I think he, he was played really entertaining football and obviously won the Cups. So I think they were the, the best surprise and I think they'll be another they'll have another good season this season. Okay. From a Liverpool perspective, what was the biggest surprise? Um, was the biggest surprise there? Um, Coutinho. I think how good Coutinho was. <laughs> he he came. We thought it was it was a good. And from what I knew of him, he he was very highly rated a few years ago, but had a bad spell into Milan. But he is um, he's definitely one of our best players by far, and I really hope he stays. <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted to ask this question of a Liverpool supporter. Um, what, what are the, what's the perspective of Liverpool fans toward Everton? Because I, I, it's not the, it's not the Tuukokai rivalry that you would have between, say, yeah. Celtic and Rangers or, or Real Madrid or Barcelona. But there is a rivalry there. There's, it's more of a sporting rivalry. Um, yes. Yeah, I think it's um, it's more it's friendly because they're it's not friendly but it's family so the same families support the same teams because they're so close like everyone in that area will support Liverpool or Everton and it usually divides families so you you don't fall out with your family over football so it's always a bit, it's always a, a more good natured um, rivalry well it was a few years ago I don't know how much how much that continues now but. And what were Liverpool supporters' impressions of David Moyes? Did they see him staying there for a long time or perhaps moving on to a bigger club or or what? Um, I think they I think they probably expected him to to leave quite um, eventually. I thought I thought I think he's a good manager. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what he can do with, with a better squad. Um, and I think he deserves the, the opportunity. I think he is I think he'll do well at Manchester United. Um, I think he probably felt his time had come at Everton. He'd been there for over a decade, I think, and I think he performed as well as he could have expected could have at Everton and, and achieved what he probably achieved, reached his ceiling of achievement. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you think will be the major storylines this coming season? Um, 
Well, I think the title's a, a three-horse race. So I think asked, um, Manchester United, Man City and Chelsea are the only teams really going to compete for that. Um, I think Suarez will probably do something stupid again. Uh, I'm sure he'll or, he'll or he'll want to leave in January. <laughs> That'll be one of the two. Um, I, don't, I really, I think Swansea will be, I think Swansea will be the best surprise package. Um, I think they've made some really good signings. I think they'll they'll be competing for, if we don't push for the Champions League place, they'll be competing with us for the Europa League place. So do you think uh, Suarez will leave? I don't think he'll leave now, not in this transfer window. Um, I think there's a good chance he'll leave in January. And if we don't make Champions League, I think he'll definitely be gone next next summer. Okay. And do you think that Gareth Bale will leave Tottenham? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I don't. I think um, if they offer enough money, if they offer a hundred million, I can't see why they would turn that down. Right. I mean, you're. I think ins- he's a good player, but I don't think he's worth that. I mean, that's true, but that doesn't stop Real Madrid from splashing out huge amounts of cash for players. Yeah. I mean, you're in Spain right now. I mean, you're hearing the. I don't know if you know Spanish, but you. Um, you're obviously hearing um, the press from from Spain. Now in Barcelona, it's different. Yeah, they they don't really talk about Real Madrid much here, but there are still a few um, Madrid fans, obviously, and I think they would they want them, but just not not that much that they want they want the team to pay a hundred million for them. I think that, I think they'd happily pay about seventy million. I think that's probably the a rate that well everyone should be happy, but I don't think Tottenham would be happy with that. Okay. All right, so so now it's time to put your head on the block. Who do you think will be relegated from the Premier League? Who will finish in the top four? And who will end up winning the league? Um, I think the top four will be Chelsea, Man City, Man United, and Tottenham. And I think Man City will win the league. I think Pellegrini's a great manager, and I think he's got a really, really good squad to choose from. As for relegation, I'm not really sure. I think the, the teams that come up are always usually the favourites to go down. Um, I think I think Stoke are probably um, a team that I would pick to go down. I don't think Mark Hughes is a very good manager. And I think um, they'll struggle this season. I think Crystal Palace will struggle as well. And I, think, I, mean, I think it's a, a, a toss-up between Hull and Cardiff and the other promoted teams. And Newcastle, if they don't, um, if they don't manage to change their ways of last season. Yeah, that seems like an interesting myth to investigate right there. Do um, do promoted sides um, get relegated immediately? Yeah, I think that's one I need to add to the to the list. Yeah, so there's a there's another idea for you. Um, all right, so that's all the time we have for this interview today. Again, my guest has been. Murray Innes of Football Insiders. And Murray, where can people find you? Um, www.footballmythbusters.com or on Twitter at FBMythbusters. Great. All right. Murray, thank you so much for an excellent interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent. All right. This has been Howard Hamilton of Soccer Metrics Research. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to the Soccer Metrics Podcast. The Soccer Metrics Podcast is available for free from iTunes, so you can listen to it again and again. 
To find the notes for this edition and learn more about our research, services, and other resources, visit the site at SoccerMetrics.net. You can also find us on Twitter, at SoccerMetrics. So until next time, this has been another edition of the Soccer Metrics Podcast.